Welcome everybody to the Canadian Perspective. I'm Cole Rader and sitting across from me is Derek Westra. That's right. And today on the agenda, Canadian corporations continue to lay people off while the government pays them. Global pollution drops due to the lockdown. And Elon Musk is taking over the skies. That's right. That's and the hottest stories on our agenda today. Yeah. And I hope you guys sit in, strap down. And let's get to her. Let's get to her. So now the first story we have for you is actually an update. It's an update on the giant general strike in India, the largest one ever in human history. 250 million people coordinated by, coordinated by many, many different unions. Uh, primarily farmers and uh, industrial workers joined in later, but it was over agricultural laws that was hurting a large amount of the farming population of India. Mm -hmm. And so the update is that we've entered day 18 <laughs> of these <laughs> protests. Two and a half weeks. Following that massive general strike, uh, major highways linking Delhi, the, the capital, will be blocked starting today, December 13th. Oh, they're starting that now? Yeah. Uh, okay. Farmers near the Jasingpur Kahida area in Rewari at the Rajasthan Haryana border would begin their march towards Delhi as well as more protesters join them. And this all developed after farmer groups rejected the economic center's offer to amend the agriculture reforms and said they would settle for nothing less than the complete repeal of said reforms. Now, some union ministers in the government have claimed, the right wing government, mind you, of course, have claimed that the ongoing farmers' protests against the new agri laws has the backing of Pakistan, China, and Maoists, which are all uh, India's current enemies right now. Pakistan, of course, has been a longtime enemy uh, of India mm -hmm. over the Kashmir region, the contested Kashmir region in the top Kashmir. left of the country. As you know, Led Zeppelin song, very good. <laughs> And Everybody knows the Led Zeppelin song. And China, they had some recent, recent clashes on the border. And uh, a, large, a large amount of these unions were, uh, had communist backing. Of course. As unions are. Because I mean, Hammer and Sickle is the farmers and workers, factory workers. <laughs> right, yes. Literally yeah, yeah, what the, the represents. sickle represents the, the agrarian peasants. And the hammer itself represents the industrial workers yes. in factories. So. so this is literally a socialist This um, is literally movement. a joining between the two of them yeah. in the strike. It's very interesting. So It'll be interesting to see what happens, how it plays out. Well, so far it's not, uh, it's not reached a conclusion yet. Well, this is going to go on until there is something reached. That's right, uh, which is very interesting. Very 250 interesting. million people march in the capital. That's right. I mean, like... That's quite a few. Yeah, that's, that's going to... That's a lot of people. That's not something, like, a military can Can stop. necessarily deal with. Yeah. Necessarily deal with. What now, are you going to do? Kill? Kill 250 well, million people? Well, the question is, that, you know, if they, start, if they start using actual violence, how many would flee? Well, a large, a large portion of them right. will. Right, how many would stay and fight? But still, that, that's a large... But still, if 1% of them stay and fight... Yeah, the population could easily... That's 1.2 million. That's a massive army. Yeah, the population could easily army. overthrow the government. Easily here. And the and government is, are shitting their pants Also, right we read up on some of uh, the updates on some of their demands, and they demanded a cut, a 50% cut of the cost of diesel mm -hmm. for agricultural work, as well as repealment of the clean air 
Act or an Air Regulation Act because it was also hurting farmers. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that. Development. I'm not sure about that. But understandably, it would support farm workers. So I could understand why it was included. But it it makes sense that the farmers are uh, fighting for that because it it makes uh, work cheaper for them. That's right. And helps them out. But it doesn't mean that that's the right thing to do here. Right. Since India has a severe pollution problem, if you just look up most polluted cities in the world, India is some of India's cities top, top that list. And if you mm-hmm. look at some pictures on a clear day, well, following rainfall is usually mm-hmm. a clear day because rain itself and the Collects human atmosphere. The pollution and Right. Uh, the clouds themselves. Well. Yes. Collects it, brings it down to the ground. So the and you compare those pictures in Delhi to pictures on days where they aren't so clear, and it's unbelievable. The whole place is is like mist has descended. It's a fog. And also some some poison fog. (laughs) You know how we have uh, we have snow days in for school. Well, they actually have uh, air quality warnings that shut down schools some days. Air quality sometimes is so terrible that they have to shut down uh, schools that day. So. I wonder if how good their air filtration systems are. I'm not in sure. In the buildings. I don't because know. Because they are a poor nation. That's right. The, the yes. people are generally a lot poorer than your average person. How good is the air filtration over in India? In the houses, sure. in homes sure. and stuff. And plus it's hot there. So yeah. I assume they have lots of windows. Yeah. So you're going to have them open. The air is going to get into your uh, house regardless. I don't know. And into the building regardless. So. Yeah, um, it's very, very unfortunate. I don't know. I'm not a buildings expert. <laughs> it's very, very, very unfortunate. So, but we hope that um, the workers get their demands met. So that's just a brief update on that story. And along with that, I'm sure that these these massive protests and strike from these workers had some influence on this story as well. Yeah. Also pro- in India. Probably inspired it. That's right. There was an Indian iPhone factory that was destroyed by workers uh, very recently, a few days ago. So workers at an iPhone production plant in India smash windows, set fire to vehicles. There's videos on Reddit. They're, they're breaking cameras and stuff. They're going to town. Oh, this happened on Saturday. Okay. So and, recent. Yes, very recent. Yes. Okay. Uh, the facility is run by the Taiwan manufacturing company, Weistron Corporation, where the iPhone SE is assembled. Of course. Okay. Right. And so, you know, it, Apple subcontracts to smaller companies that then run the factories that treat the workers like garbage. Yeah. So they don't actually have their, uh, hands, their hands on dirty. the situation. Yeah. And this is all companies that use wage slave labor. It's a, it's a common practice with uh, people that outsource their jobs. That's right. So usually clothing companies do the same thing. Yes. So your Georges of the world, your uh, Apples of the world. Well, all, all clothing companies, it's well, more like well, all yeah, of the world. Yeah. Which is kind of gross. Your Adidas is kind of gross. Uh, yeah, it's horrible. Absolutely horrible. <laughs> Not so, just kind of gross. It's really gross. That's right. So, so the reason for this outburst was uh, during shift changes, workers who said they had their pay reduced and some salaries were denied to some workers. And so they revolted. Yeah, it makes and sense. I'm sure that there were some other problems at this facility because since one single problem with management usually doesn't lead to this kind of no, they're probably treated Backlash. like shit. They probably had some the other problems time, too. Since they started, they Pro- were probably treated like shit. And right. then um, this uh, protest, mass protest happened. Right. Now uh, there's a big wave, a big left wing wave for uh, workers' rights, basically. A labor wave, yes. A w- labor wave coming in. 
so, and just sweep in the state there. So roughly 2,000 workers were involved in the protest. Just for some background, Apple began assembling iPhones in India in 2017, and it only has about 1% share of the total smartphone markets in the country since iPhones are so expensive. And for many of India's consumers, they can't afford it. So even though India was the second biggest smartphone market in the world mm -hmm. in 2019, even ahead of the United States and second only China. Yes. So behind China. So iPhone, the iPhone, I mean Apple. Apple uses slave labor to make their phones and then they sell it to you for 17,000 or 1,700%. Of the cost. The markup is. Yes. Now we're pulling that number out of our ass. Yeah, that's an estimated number. But it's some, something like that. It's something extremely high like that. Extremely crazy. And just so they can uh, get a bigger profit uh, for their shareholders. That's really all they're trying to do. And they're doing that in extremely um, unethical ways, in my opinion. Yeah. Un uh, outsourcing uh, like that, I think, should be illegal. Any uh, first world country to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and and plus it takes away domestic jobs and usually it, it leads to regulations being skirted yeah. and other such things so, so they're uh, probably also making a lower quality product for you but regardless that's how old phones are made basically so, so moving on to we're going to move on to another uh thing that we covered on our last podcast bill well, c7 uh, the last two or three podcasts, Yeah, we've right? talked about it a couple times already, and this is only our fourth podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one's an interesting one because, again, it's the medical assistance in dying mm -hmm. a bill. And uh, basically, people are getting a little bit mad over it. So as we have talked about, the bill is a small adaptation to current laws surrounding assisted dying in which people that have given consent to the procedure but have lost the ability to give consent uh, before the procedure actually takes place. Before the actual administration of the dose of whatever drug that they're receiving. However, however they choose to do it, mm -hmm. uh, the doctors will be able to go ahead with it regardless. So if they lose the lucid ability to right. agree to it. Like they've signed a contract. Yeah, basically. Along with this is a 90-day assessment period of uh, consideration for patients whose deaths are not imminent. For example, a patient with disability and depression may be considered for medical assistance in dying, MAD, as the acronym states. Or made, made actually. sorry. Not MAD. That's, not, uh, not mutually assured destruction. <laughs> a little separate. I was thinking mothers against drunk driving. Oh, okay. Well, we got a bunch. We got a bunch of MADs. Okay. I mean, this is assured destruction. Yes, of your life. It's just not mutual. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, doctors. I've been talking out about it, like uh, London's, London, Ontario's doctor, uh, Ramona. Ramona? Ramona. Coelho? I'm so bad with names. I'm so sorry. Um, anyways, she says, these, and I quote, these people are asking for uh, disability supports that are being declined. During COVID-19, the disparity with this community has become worse. Many of them are denied home care services and yet they can die within 90 days if they become suicidal. This is an extremely weak safeguard, she says. The argument here is that it takes more than 90 days to see a specialist to figure out a form of treatment and then complete that treatment. Right, right, right. So, so like, you go in, you tell the doc, 
hey, yo, I'm depressed and I got this disability and uh, I want to die. And the doc is like, sure, I'll help you with that. Yeah. And then three months later, you're dead. Um, Another, now, They're also being then denied uh, services that would help their life out. So they're suffering. And then the government is like, yeah, we're not going to help uh, uh, lower the amount of suffering that you have that was against your will. Like, you didn't, okay. You didn't ask for uh, to be disabled. No one's asking wait, for wait. that. Wait, wait, so you're saying that if they make the agreement between themselves and the doctor or the nurse or whatever yeah for to receive assisted dying for a an assisted dying procedure in the future they no longer receive end-of-life care that minimizes no. pain no no that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is they're uh denied that beforehand so they have an amount of suffering oh, like so they don't have uh, the ability to leave their house due to stairs or whatever for whatever reason the person's pain is being uh, exemplified through some through the system the system part of their environment tough. or their system yeah so the system um that they are living in mm -hmm. our current system is not uh adequately accessible for them which causes some suffering and then leads to depression and then you're able to uh then ask for assisted suicide and die mm -hmm. basically um and the government's like yeah that's okay but we're not going to help uh the levels of suffering that you're going through. They're not going to hit the problem uh, from the source. This is just sort of second measure they're uh, saying. So uh, some other points that, that so some other points to be made. Is that basically they're looking to dissolve Congress for Christmas. And so they're trying to get this bill through yes. before the dissolution of Congress, which means that it is being rushed yes. in... in you could perceive it as being rushed in some ways. Bills being rushed and the safeguards aren't uh, adequate. Right. According to uh, these people, like uh, Jeff uh, Princeton, uh, Preston? Preston, a professor at King's University College with muscular dystrophy, is, and he's a vocal advocate uh, for peoples with disability, um, just in general. His claim is the bill uh, is counterproductive for the community, saying instead of trying to break uh, to break down the ableist barriers within the system and create a better accessibility for all people within the demographic who are already prone to high depression and suicide rates. And then they give them a quick, easy way out. That this amendment would give them a quick, easy way out. Yes. Um, He's, he says, quote, there is a ton of suffering experienced by disabled people that is actually not within the body, not within the person, but rather is caused by the systems of inaccessibility and ableism. Exactly. End quote. So, so lots of people are speaking out against this bill that the politicians are trying to push through too early. Now, well, let's be more specific about the politicians. The conservatives are voting no on yes. this bill. Everyone else is voting yes on this bill. The Liberals, the NDP, the Bloc, the Greens. Yes. So that is, it, 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 so from the group of professionals that we got from this story are supporting the conservative side. They're, uh, they're supporting the conservative side, but they're also um, talking about, they're not necessarily conservative themselves. Right. They're just giving their professional mo movement. They opinion. Have, they have different reasons. Right. So their argument is not that uh, they don't want to give people the ability to do this they are saying that is too much of a weak guard weak safeguard they need um more measures in place to make sure that you should 
it's moral for you to do it. Well, so or moral for、uh, someone to actually go through with this. So we actually doctors to do it.、I、we、mean. actually discussed discussed the story、yeah. shortly before doing this podcast, and and I I stated that I'm a libertarian on these issues.、Uh, well, just in general, I, I I'm a libertarian, libertarian on left wing、well. libertarian. So I mean, if somebody's suicidal, they would do it. Anyways, if they could, if they could, now, but as is stating, the system put in place does not meet the needs, the necessary needs for the, some of these people that have these horrible、uh, disabilities. Yes,、um, I do believe that people without terminal illnesses should be able to receive、uh, medical assistance in dying.、Mm-hmm. Um, it, the disease does shouldn't have to necessarily be terminal in order to receive it. I understand the ninety-day waiting period. Waiting period. That's understandable, but my amendment, I do agree. So if somebody could be in a spiral downwards of depression, depression, however, is a is a natural human response to some to some circumstances. Yeah. So, you know, but I would say an amendment I would support、uh, would be that it requires at least one family member's approval or. Somebody close enough to be called a family member. Now, how exactly you come to determine that is up in the air. Maybe well, it is just family members. That's regardless of the point, right? But maybe somebody who's a close, someone、uh, who knows you is able to is、um, able to sign, sign off, off and off give on agreement on that on in that agreement between the patient and the、uh, doctor on、yeah. medical assistance dying. That would circumvent、uh, simply having a single. Individual seeking medical assistance, dying. Yes, when they're in a state of depression, that way you have outside supporting it. If you deny people the ability to do this, then they might take it in their own hands and commit suicide、uh, themselves, right?、Uh, without medical assistance,、mm. and then that could be very traumatizing for people. That one,、uh, it doesn't work, so they、uh, they impair themselves even more, even further, even further from that. Um, and they don't have the ability to、uh, talk to a medical profession professional about the best way to go around doing it,、mm-hmm. as well as the people that find them, their family、mm-hmm. members or whatever that eventually find、uh, them dead, them dead, the body, which is like ungodly traumatizing. I would assume so. I wonder. I'm interested to see at the future of this Bill C seven. Yeah,、um, from the way things are looking, because of the conservatives' amendment being voted down and it being reintroduced at、yeah. a later date, I assume that it will not be passed. It did pass.、Um, it passed the third reading in the House, and now it's being sent over to the Senate. One hundred and six conservatives voted no, and everybody else voted yes. Well, I'm sure the、mm-hmm. Green Liberal Bloc and NDP all voted yes. Right, correct. So I'm not quite sure how they will vote or if this、uh, law will be. We'll proceed, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, how、It'll、the Senate、fun. decides. So, anyways,、system. moving on. Moving on to our next story. The this is a very juicy one. So, millions of dollars of pandemic aid are going to Canadian corporations that are making healthy profits. So, several large corporations, which, despite being financially healthy overall, qualified for wage subsidies because at least one division suffered a substantial drop in revenues during the pandemic. So 
Um, we'll have an example later that'll that'll describe exactly how that happens. Mm-hmm. So the CBC News, um, this article is from CBC News, uh, analyzed the financial statements of 53 public companies that disclosed receiving more than $10 million under the program. The program in question is the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy, or the CEWS. I do believe we covered this on Seems. our on our first podcast, yeah. I think. Yeah, we did. Um, so the analysis found that nearly 30 of them issued quarterly payments to shareholders while collecting the wage subsidy. Now, do we know which companies did this? Of the ones that, of the 53 public companies that the CBC News analyzed, they do. Okay. I do not have the names in front of me of these exact ones. Okay. But collectively, these companies dished out nearly $2 billion to shareholders between April and September, which is ridiculous. The analysis also identified 13 companies whose year-to-date net income increased when compared to 2019, including Leon's, which got $32 million in the CEWS, the wage subsidy, and Extendicare, which got $82.2 million in wage subsidy. So, in other words, tens of millions of dollars from the government's pandemic aid package has gone to corporations whose profits are up despite the economic downturn. So, in other words, tens of millions of dollars from the government's pandemic aid package has gone to these corporations whose profits are up, you know, despite the economic downturn. Are so, it's making, going to the rich rather than right. the workers, and which what is it's intended to do. The whole thing is intended, you know, this is fucked up because the CEWS was meant to help businesses struggling to keep employees on their payroll, yes. right? And these corporations are paying shareholders quarterly, which is not necessary. They don't have to either. You don't right? have to uh, pay out dividends. You don't necessarily have to do that. So it's clear that they're not exactly hurting. No. And so... They pay out dividends when they make uh, enough profit to do so. That's right, on their quarterly statement. Yeah. So an example of this happening, the billion-dollar janitorial company, GDI, started laying off employees across the country in April when the pandemic really started to hit. Now, while some divisions, like mechanical services, suffered major losses because of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. as a whole, the company is thriving amid increased demand for cleaning services. So, but, but because that one section, that one division of the company had some losses, that meant that they were applicable for the CEWS. Uh, we'll just refer to it as the wage subsidy from now on. It's easier yeah. to say, and it's easier to get the point across. So they were able to apply for this wage subsidy, even though they were making bank. Uh, GDI's share price hitting an all-time highs and the company posted what it called a quote record quarter end quote between june and september with revenues up more than 10 percent and since april the corporation has also received 29.4 million dollars from the from the wage subsidy program yeah so that's fucked up while they were laying employees off and making a record quarter with their share prices going up so this is directly going to businesses that are stealing the money, basically. I mean, it's also going to some small businesses that of require course, it. The of small course. businesses that need the money should right. get the money. Uh-huh. Now, these big uh, companies that are able to pay their employees, mm-hmm. able to keep them on the payroll, and still make profit on top of that, do not need this wage subsidy. Right. 
They're not affected. That's correct. And yet they still are laying off people. Yeah, because they can. Because they're scum. Well, they're able to because now you you look in the news, everybody's getting laid off. Oh, it's just COVID. You know, they have a safeguard. Right. They have a a convenient excuse for laying off people or cutting areas that they might want to cut. Exactly. For whatever reason. Very scummy. Now, also to mention, even further shady is that there's little information disclosing which companies received the wage subsidy to begin with. So only publicly traded companies have to disclose their financial statements. And they likely made up only a fraction of the 355,990 businesses which received the wage subsidy. I hope most of those are small businesses. Like restaurants and shit. They better fucking be. Like, they should have directly uh, supported... The food industry, like restaurants and stuff. That's right. Those are the ones getting hit the hardest. Yeah, except for the corporate ones like McDonald's because they can survive that shit, right? Yeah, McDonald's is um, trash. But, the, but like the Indian place down the road or the Chinese place off The German Maine, butcher. The German butcher. Shout out to the German butcher. There's a German butcher in, in, in Winnipeg. Um, you like their Down their off, off Portage because uh, my family There's is German. Sausage. And so when you go there, the meats they have there are amazing. Oh, yeah? Actually amazing. What, what's it called? Show well, yeah, Schinkenspeck is one of them. Schinkenspeck? I think they're just called the German Butcher. Oh, okay. Schinkenspeck is, is one of the meats. It's smoked. Uh, okay. And then also you have uh, a beer sausage, which is also really good. I, I like their beer, so I like the beer sausage. <laughs> <laughs> or beer yeah. worst. Also banging. Yeah. Well, I mean like everything. All the restaurants, they operate at an average of like 10% uh, profit margin. Right, right now they're getting boned. They're so closing they're getting down. Boned. They're they're only allowed to do curbside pickup, and that's not even paying the bills. And major, and now the monopolies might start to form. Now the larger restaurant companies are the ones that are going to stay open. Exactly. And the small ones are going to get stamped out. One the one the um, restaurants, the King's Head, the yes. owner of the King's Head, uh-huh. had to uh, give up his house. It's really? sell his house to keep his business open. Jesus, that's one of uh, Winnipeg's biggest uh, pubs. That's unfortunate. We're just talking about the fucking local cuisine, bro. Yeah, people are getting wrecked out there. That's the problem, yeah. and they should be receiving this wage benefit. And in fact, the wage subsidy itself will cost a hundred billion dollars by the time it wraps up next year. Mm-hmm. And yet, a lot of that money is being flushed straight into these corporations who don't need them. And like I was saying. It's impossible to know how many workers actually benefited from this wage subsidy. We don't know. The list of, of companies that received it is not public. Mm-hmm. And even the companies that did receive it, you know, it's impossible to know how many workers actually benefited, how many workers' uh, jobs were saved. Figures released by the federal government last week indicate that 3.9 million workers have benefited from the $50.6 billion that has been spent so far under the wage subsidy. But not all has been used correctly, as I was saying. So apparently businesses, this is how, this is the big grift, okay? Businesses use the subsidy to offset payroll expenses, right? Mm -hmm. As a result, the money ends up subsidizing all employees on the payroll, not only those in danger of being laid off because of the pandemic. Okay. So that drives up the cost of saving each job, technically. Yeah. That estimates that... currently costing the government $14,500 per month for every job saved, according to the 3.9 million workers that they said uh, jobs were saved. So some companies 
Instead of cutting down on discretionary spending, they spent lavishly on non-payroll expenses, which is not prohibited under the wage subsidy. Yeah, that's gross. You would think that they would put it in law that the money received from the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy has to go to, has to payroll expenses. Wage. It has wages. to subsidize people's wages. Yeah. But there's nothing in the law that says that. And so some of these companies, they just said, oh, cool. Free we'll take the money. Lunch money. Yeah. Cool. Free lunch money. We're just going to, you know. While the government is also crawling or uh, clawing back CERB payments. That's right. While the government is, is forcing people to pay back the aid money they received due to bullshit reasons if they misreading for for self-employed people there was a a misreading between gross and net income yeah you had to have make five grand uh net income but it didn't state that so some of them applied their gross income and because of that they're getting shafted and forced to pay it back yeah which is just scummy it was done in good faith it's all done in good faith and And yet they're getting yet they're getting screwed it's just it's just not right and trudeau also said that just apply for it. Just do it. If you need the money, just do it. We'll help you out. He said that. Mm. He's on record saying that. And now he's grabbing all it all back if you fucked up on like a minor detail while applying. Yes. I, it was hard to apply. Lots of it. Lots of the information was very vague. Exactly. And you can make the arguments either way. Exactly. That's so the that's thing. the problem. I ended up not getting any SERP. Uh, off of a minor a minor part of it which is i my uh hours that i was working at the time did not go lower so i was not able to get the syrup even though i was only making maybe 200 dollars a week yeah but they don't care about how much money you but, were making it yeah, just they only care beforehand if you i was lost only making 200 dollars a week right. afterwards when i was able to work uh more i wasn't able to because i couldn't find the job so that's why i wasn't able to make syrup right but as they were saying, he was means tested quite a bit. You yeah. had to have lost your job due to the coronavirus pandemic. Also, you know, part-time workers that were, are only working, what, uh, 16 hours a week? Mm-hmm. They are not applicable for this. You can't live off that. No. And so people were getting shafted. They weren't able to get to the, the CERB anyways. Mm-hmm. So that's a big problem. So they should have put into law that's prohibited to use the wage subsidy money for things that, for non-payroll expenses. Now, an example here, the Montreal-based trucking giant TFI International received $63 million in wage subsidies by the end of September, while also paying out $45 million in dividends amid rising profits and a soaring share price. In the spring, as it was laying off... Laying off 1,600 workers, TFI spent nearly $9 million buying back shares, which is a move that's generally intended to, to drive up your share price. Yeah, it's buybacks, which some people think should be illegal still. Right. It was actually recently only made legal. Mm-hmm. I think like a decade ago. I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to look that up. But it, was, it hasn't always been legal to do that. The yeah, less each share costs. Basic, uh, supply and the demand. The less each share costs. It's if basic you lower, supply and demand. Right. Less supply, yeah. therefore. Take away the supply, up, right? demand goes up, therefore price goes up. Right. And earlier this fall, TFI announced it was increasing its dividend by 12%. So not only <clears throat> is it receiving <clears throat> is it receiving $63 million in wage subsidies, paying dividends, also it's increasing 
by 12%. The dividends it's paying by 12%. Which it doesn't even have to pay, usually. So the CEO, Alain Bedard, said, quote, we are not ashamed, end quote, about taking the wage subsidies. You should be. You should be. That he said this in October. Now, he also declined to answer questions from the CBC while they wrote this article, so, you mm. know. But, uh, quote, not taking it would be like refusing a tax exemption. It would be like saying, we're more Catholic than the Pope, end quote, he added. He also added that the subsidy allowed the company to retain around 1,500 workers it would have otherwise laid off. Now, that's the argument like Trump not paying his taxes. He was able to find the loopholes, so therefore why didn't he, uh, so therefore it's moral for him to not pay his taxes. Well, it's bullshit because it would have otherwise laid off those 1,500 workers. Well, that's, they shouldn't have laid yeah. off those 1,500 workers because clearly they were making, they're Enough. making bank. Yeah. Their, their business was doing very well. Yeah. So they're also scum. And if they weren't even receiving the wage subsidy, yeah. laying off workers while they're making record profits. So this well, is that's a, just how, how capitalism works. That's right. And also, uh, since April, Bedard has sold stock options in TFI worth more than $20 million. So see, he himself yeah. has sold a stock options. Of course, everybody has been selling right now. Right. Now, also, something to note, an important, important thing to mention, is that there's no indication that any of the corporations were using the wage subsidy to directly finance dividends. It doesn't matter. They just get a amount of money. It's just they, they have a cash money. flow, and then now all of a sudden they can spend their other cash flow on dividends. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's also a signifying that the company is not in poor standing. Therefore, it shouldn't receive a wage subsidy to pay its workers. Yeah. They, they weren't affected. They're still making mass profits. Right. They're, Everything's going up. It's all fine and dandy for them. And now they just get extra money from the government just because. Right. It suggests they have cash on hand, which could be used to retain the workers. Yeah. So but this problem apparently could be solved by using annual revenue figures instead of more specific periods to determine a company's eligibility. It's also noted that countries like Spain and the Netherlands barred companies that are receiving wage subsidies from paying dividends. So once again, we have... Uh, European countries that are taking measures and doing things a little better than Canada mm -hmm. is. So obviously we should have put those things in place. Now the liberals, very business friendly. Yes, very business friendly. Large business friendly. Which is not as left wing as so, we would like it to be. Exactly. And so uh, I actually had a nice little graphic here. Canada's biggest spends on the COVID-19 relief. So total amount of money spent is $240 billion, $210 million, $729,000. Now, $105.66 billion went to individuals, mm -hmm. which is good, right? So 81.64. That, that was through, like, CERB, EI. Well, yeah, that was through, the uh, CERB was the biggest one. Yeah. Uh, EI enhancements, which is only $7.7 um, Enhanced uh, GST credit and others, $10 billion went to others. Yeah, I don't know what others are, but... Exactly. Um... <laughs> 16 billion went to transfers to provinces, territories, municipalities, you know, government mm -hmm. agencies. And then 118.37 billion, which is more than individuals got, went to organizations. Yes. So that was the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy with almost 50 billion dollars. 50 billion. The Canadian Emergency Business Account, 31 billion. 31 billion dollars. The Youth Employment and Skills Development Programs, 9 billion. PPE purchases. Six billion. Six billion. 
and the CMHC insured mortgage purchase program, five billion, and others, which was sixteen billion. So a lot of money is being spent. Yeah, a lot of money is being spent. And after the Liberals' economic statement was made a week or two ago, mm-hmm. it's understandable, maybe from the perspective of the government, that they are so they're being so craven in the repayments for the CERB, because we're looking at a very, very large stimulus, yeah. economic stimulus spending in the next year. Hopefully. Well, that's what it said. Yeah. So then maybe that might have some influence. They're looking at the numbers and they're freaking out a little. You know, the fiscal hawks, they're afraid mm-hmm. the fiscal hawks in the Liberal Party might be angry or not like this situation. Yeah. I mean, you got to pay to get out of a... Uh, Underneath uh, the Keynesian economic theory, using the government injecting cash flow directly into the economy as a form of stimulus is effective. Yes. And so it's through um, infrastructure spending, which is very good. Uh, War also works. Military spending. Right. But that's also um, jobs creation. Jobs creation. Which is another avenue Mm -hmm. that the spending could take. And a war increases job creation. Yeah, not saying that we're pro-war. We're not saying that's <laughs> just that's one of the avenues. Now, of course, there's many peaceful options that they can have for job creation. So, so you know. inf- infrastructure fixing up the roads. Lord knows Manitoba could use that. And as we talked about, the, the universal child care would also create many, many jobs. So that, that would be a great stimulation help. for the economy. Also would, would give us universal child care. So, yeah. you know, that would be a win-win situation. Um, Which they should do. Liberals won't do it. They no. never do anything unless no. they're pushed to. So... Anyways. There's many ways to get out of this, but will the liberals take the best option? Probably not. Probably not. The best option, which is the leftist option, right? Yeah. They won't. Now, actually, the leader of uh, the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, came out and, and said that um, it's ridiculous yeah. that all these re- recipients of the CERB are being forced to pay it back. And it's scummy mm-hmm. after the wording of the prime minister to take the CERB and whatnot. He was not happy. Right. He was not happy. Understandably. Trudeau promised people not to worry. If you're taking it in good faith, you're taking this money in good faith, this help, this aid, don't worry about it. We'll protect you. Mm-hmm. You'll be okay. And now he's like, just kidding. We're taking it back. Fuck you guys. <laughs> We're going to give it to corporations that don't need it. Mm-hmm. Now, so I don't know if he directly uh, approves of that, but that's what's happening right now. Now, another way that they could save money would be to have more strict policy on giving out the wage subsidy program. Yeah. Well, they, what they should do is redirect all that money um, that they gave those companies that didn't need the wage subsidy mm-hmm. and give it to people through a stimulus. Maybe, maybe like uh, what the U.S. did. Everybody gets a stimulus check. The Why don't time. they do that? Well, well, I why mean, not? Th- they might keep it just to balance the, the budget, which I'm saying that they, well, they could they do, that do that too, but they, why? You already spent it. Fucking assholes. That's well, I mean, it's it <laughs> stop, stop it from spending more. Yeah. Because it's not done giving out. It's $100 yeah. billion. Dollars. It's not done. So I think there should be. But, anyways. Anyways, moving that on. That was that story. Uh, uh, continuing further on. Pandemic leads to biggest drop ever in global emissions, but trend not expected to last. That's right. Yeah. So apparently the pandemic lockdown cut global carbon dioxide emissions by 7% this year. Damn. This is according to the Global Carbon Project, which is a authoritative group of dozens of international scientists who track emissions. Published Thursday in the journal Earth System Science, 
the data calculated that the world will have put 34 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide in the air in 2020, compared to the 36.4 billion metric tons in 2019. Oh, damn. We went down 2.4 billion metric tons. So why is that, Derek? Well, because people are staying home, traveling less by car and plane. People aren't out in the streets anymore, driving cars everywhere. Right. Planes aren't running. Less fuels being consumed. Exactly. And when the lockdown ends, probably go back. It'll probably go back up. The world has to get back to what it was doing before. Mm -hmm. Governments haven't changed their environmental policies because they've been too busy dealing with the pandemic. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Anyway, some some more specific numbers. There's a 12% drop in emissions in the United States, an 11% drop in Europe, a 7% drop in Canada. And only a 1.7% drop in China, unfortunately. Why is that? Now, that Why is, is that? since China did not encounter a second wave of corona. They claim. They claim. What do you mean they claim? Are they, are they actually giving you the numbers? The real numbers, bro? Listen, bro. Bro. It's, it's a country full of- you trust them? Over a billion people. You don't bro, think somebody would fucking leak it? They're eating bats over there, bro. Yeah, so what? <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm being Alex Jones here. You are Alex Jones. You would say that wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. Anyways, so China closed down, shut down very early on, and they contained the virus very well. So there was no second wave of corona that would extend the lockdown. And also, most Chinese pollution is industrial-based and not travel-based. Yeah. So that's so another from reason. factories that didn't really shut down anyways. That's right. So that's all. Just, that was just a nice little... That was interesting. Give you the numbers on that. Yeah, if you, in case you were wondering, like, yeah. how does this affect we'll go right know, CO2 back, emissions? Like... No, we will go right back, unfortunately. Well, actually, something related to this is, yeah. is Justin Trudeau made an announcement on the economic plan for Canada and that they will, be, they will exceed the emissions target, pollution target they had set earlier on. So remember, this is funny coming from Justin Trudeau, who famously had 4.5 billion dollars lying around to purchase uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline to bring crude oil from Alberta into British Columbia. And fuck over and the screw indigenous over. population. Yeah, over. Raid over sacred land. Is that the Trans Mountain? Yeah, I believe so. So yeah, in fact, the, the, the Trans Mountain Pipeline that was purchased by the government did in fact go through Native American land. It really seems like every single pipeline that Canada approves is looking to directly go through indigenous land. Yeah, so, yeah, because <laughs> the Trans Mountain did. Yeah. The Coastal Gas Link Pipeline went, went through the Wet'suwet'en territory, yeah. which is what led to those um, Canadian rail protests. Uh, protests that blocked the, the, trains, the, the trains for a while. And then also the, the Keystone XL Pipeline, which went through North Dakota and... Native American land that was there as well. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, not only is the fact that you are building infrastructure for fossil fuels, which is you're not supposed to do if you signed the Paris Accord. Mm -hmm. It states that you are not supposed to do that. We're doing they it are doing anyways, it anyways. Trying to be leaders in the, the green. Yeah, Canada, Justin Trudeau likes to say that, you know, oh, we're doing so good on stuff, but... but we're trying to be world leaders in the green uh, economy, but right. of course we're not. We're buying pipelines everywhere. Where they're way. building in, yeah. Like, why? And why? also... Why can't... Okay, here's the point. Why can't we invest in green energy, patent that green energy um, technology, 
and sell it to the rest of the world. Would that not be a better economic, uh, have better economic value rather than building pipelines that are soon to be obsolete? Yeah, it would. That's of course just, it would. That's just how I see it. Why aren't we investing into like because solar energy more? There's an uncertainty. Better technology there. So what you're saying is that we could invest money into green technology and yeah. such and have and come up with new technology that we patent and sell. Well, yeah. there's uncertainty. There is. On how much we could sell it for and would that make up for the drop in GDP that would occur due to stopping the Alberta oil sands. Now, I want to stop the Alberta oil well, sands. Well, it'll be cheaper. If, if we invest in it, we can make the energy cheaper. That's the right. Re renewable There's also energy. the other question that literally so, going with the technology we have right now and building that infrastructure yeah. is enough to sustain the country. That would. And in fact, Canada specifically has the best currently standing infrastructure to support that move mm -hmm. from fossil fuels directly onto solar, wind, and hydro. But federal government doesn't want to do it. I think we should. Right. And it would create thousands upon thousands of jobs. Oh, yeah. It would also lose and thousands of jobs because of the, specifically in Alberta. However, there's a massive movement uh, to move away from fossil fuels. That's right, but not in Alberta. Not in Alberta, but we need to... That's a, hard, that's a hard subject right there, because I, I do agree I mean, that I they hope need jobs. If it would have to, be, to be a big bill, it would have to be a big bill yep. that also would be passed alongside another bill that would train... My suggestion is that if you wanted to have a, a national program to build uh, green infrastructure and to move away from uh, coal-burning power plants and, in some cases, nuclear in Quebec mm. power plants, that the first area focused on should be Alberta in building the green energy and yeah. also have a program that trains Those, former workers, workers in the oil sands regions. You know, not just like a dot job you have to apply for, but they literally, yeah, if you, they, they you train can, you for the specific like the job. Like CERB, you apply for some the government program and then you get it and then you get training for it that's subsidized by the government yeah and therefore while still you getting paid your wage you don't lose there's not a massive job loss program yeah. in alberta and even though i'm sure they would dislike that because you know it's changed of course. so more work well it, it'll be it's very complicated right so there has to be a couple options like you have to also give them the option to go to university to change their profession or whatever i mean um, we should have universal tuition regardless yes we should but that's my suggestion if, if we were going to do a, a program. Also, I'd like to point out that Manitoba, the province we live in, Manitoba Hydro is our main source of electricity. That yeah. is green energy. Now, it's technically, some people say, oh, it's less green because to build a it's, hydro dam It's not quite can, as green. It can interrupt some of the ecosystem. Yeah, but, it's not uh, the greatest for the ecosystem, but is much greener than using oil. I coal. think it's worth it. I think, I think so it's too. worth it, significantly worth it. Granted, we can also we make enough energy where we can sell it to, let's say, I thought we already do that. We already do that though. We do, but we sell it primarily to the states, I believe, at an extremely lower rate than we do. Would that affect Canadians? Canadian and U.S. relations if we stop doing that? Perhaps, but who cares? That's very, very important because then they could turn around and screw over our farmers. Fuck it. That's not a fuck it, bro. That's not bro, a fuck it. Let's dude. do it. Let's I, do it. You know, it's well, very why important. Why are we selling it to them in the first place? Because they need it. Because their their grid is shit. Yeah, but we <laughs> sell it to them for much cheaper than we sell it to Canadians. 
Is that true? I believe so. Well, that is what my economics professor said. Well, then that's bullshit. Yeah. Alrighty. So interesting to note, right? If if that yeah. hydro should probably be, it should be looked into multiple different provinces. If hydro is applicable, I know some isn't. Um, they don't have the correct waterways to do such a thing. Yeah. But I think that uh, it, it's a big it's a big job to make a switch to green energy. But we should do it as soon as possible. That's right. We should. We should. Um, stop beating around the bush we've been beating around the bush since the 60s on this issue that's correct and our future depends on it literally so moving on to the next story canadian airlines we're going to be talking about that's right and apparently they could fail if forced to refund passengers uh, this is according to the transport minister mark garnier who says that canadian airlines could go bankrupt if the ailing industry is compelled to refund passengers Billions of dollars for flights canceled due to the pan- pandemic. Now, this was yeah. a massive problem. There was lots, multitudes of flights that were canceled. All of them. Yes. It was all of in them. In fact. And some of these in the airline industry are not, are not refunding these tickets. No, which you would think that they should do is the right thing to do to refund them. That's right. You would think. However, they actually, I think they have a point here. So Canada's airline industry has been hit, um, of course, hit particularly hard by the pandemic. Airlines, it's been every, everybody's airlines. Airlines, All airlines. That's right. Airlines are losing 90% of their normal revenue streams, and some have put their operations, like, completely on pause. So, two petitions, uh, more than 30,000 signatures combined, have been submitted in par- to Parliament in recent weeks, calling on the government to demand that airlines tapping into taxpayer-funded government supports reimburse these grounded passengers so they're asking the government to pay for the reimbursements or help out at least yes basically yes in some way yes um some of these airlines are are actually offering passengers uh travel vouchers which are redeemable for two years instead of if we could even go on trips in two years though that's right well hopefully we hope to hell the vaccine is good yeah, well, right. it's, it's starting right now, bro. Yeah, in fact, it's going chip out. implanted. <laughs> <laughs> Elon's planting his chips, bro. No. Right to the back of your skull. No, I don't think that's how vaccines are done, but okay. <laughs> Directly to the brain. So anyways. Moving on. Now, here's something very interesting. Similar to the wage subsidy story, mm-hmm. when the CBC asked Transport Canada for specific numbers, it was told the figures the government receives from airlines amount to proprietary information that it isn't authorized to release. Mm. So they can't actually say how much these airline industries are hurting. So they don't know. They're right. only going so off So when by Garneau, their, Mark, Mark Garneau comes out and yeah. says that, oh, it could cost them billions of dollars, like we don't actually have the hard numbers for that. So yeah. Now, Air Canada, on the other hand, their books are open since it's a publicly traded company. Yeah. Uh, it, it has about $2.6 billion tied up in ticket sales for future travel over the next year. Uh, on March 16th, that airline said its current liquidity level was $6.3 billion, a record level, and its balance sheet was, was solid. You know, since then, Air Canada has said it's burning $22 million a day in operating costs and plans to reduce its workforce by 50 to 60%. Uh, the company said that a dramatic drop in demand during the pandemic, obvi- yes, no shit, caused airlines' flight capacity drop by 95%. Yeah, yes, that's what's going to happen. It makes sense when you 
cancel travel. Of course. Yeah, no one's going to go on flights. Yes, and, and when, I, when it's an airborne disease yeah. and you're in an enclosed area. Yeah, with like hundreds of people. With air that's being recirculated. Yeah, it's not great. And Justin Trudeau also came out and said that, uh, you know, we have to uh, strike the right balance between airlines and consumer rights. Yeah, so this is a hard one because we can't really let the airlines fail. They're necessary to keep. Yeah, up. we need those airlines. We do. That'd be a big problem. When, we, when the pandemic's over and we need to go travel, we need airlines. And if they can't support themselves, like actually can't support themselves, mm -hmm. we uh, as people need them, so we need to support them. Right. It's, however, interesting that these airlines that make millions of dollars, they probably have smart people at the top of that company. Yeah. They, could, they didn't have a significant enough rainy day fund for a potential pandemic. Yeah. They didn't have an emergency plan. They didn't have... Nothing. They didn't have anything. And now they're, uh, they can't pay you back your tickets that you paid for and now can't go um, use them. They're not paying you back mm -hmm. because they're just like, oh, we don't have enough money. Listen, you did this to yourself. Kind of. You know. I think we should socialize. Socialize it. Completely. Well, listen, no we more should at least companies. have one. <laughs> we should at least have one. Yes, a public option would be the best uh, scenario here, in which case uh, some of these other airlines can fail during these um, times because, you know, capitalism, the best of the best survive. The best of the best is going to be the public option based off of uh, how the money uh, is run. It's going to be the cheapest one to uh, keep going because it's not actively looking for a profit. Yeah. And so these companies that are looking for a profit and paying dividends and are publicly traded are going to go under and then that one's going to come stay on top and then we'll still have um, airlines in the future. Mm. So, right. So anyways, we'll see, we'll see what, what unfolds in there. the following weeks. There's going to be, uh, you know, the government is talking with airlines uh, and they're going to look at what uh, the other countries are doing yep. when it comes to travel funds and they're probably going to deliver an update on the file in a, in a few coming weeks. So, I mean, this is the one area in the, the one type of company or, or massive corporation, I should, should say, that I kind of agree that we need to keep. Well, there are a few we need to keep as well. There's a few. Th there's at least few. There's a few um, that we need to keep, but airlines are specifically are one of them because we can't function as a society without planes at the moment. That's correct. We'll be cut off, basically. Mm -hmm. All right. So. Moving on to our next story, Derek's going to take the lead on this one. All right, we're going to be talking about Elon Musk, Starlink. Um, so basically, Elon Musk is providing indigenous communities with internet uh, via their Starlink uh, program, which is a subset of SpaceX, Elon Musk's space company. That's right. Um, so the corporation uh, is now providing high-speed internet to indigenous communities around Canada. The service is called Starlink, and it is revolutionizing the internet uh, provider's game. Right now, most people are using fiber optic cables. That's what you would probably be using in the city mm -hmm. that run through the ground, which is half the speed of the Starlink service, apparently. So Starlink is going to be twice as fast of That's the internet that you are probably significant. paying for. That's very significant. Yes. Yeah, incredibly, mm -hmm. incredibly significant. Is it priced better? No. 
Okay. No. All right. Um, it's a bit more expensive to up- obtain or like maintain, though. I see. Thing. Um. So this basically means that once Starlink opens up to the public, every Canadian will have the same amount of access to internet regardless of where they live. This is because of how they're providing it. So rather than in the ground, it's uh, like cables in the ground. Mm-hmm. It's based off of satellites in the sky. Oh, interesting. So it's more like a, um, satellite television. A satellite television, GPS, whatever. Radio signals. Yeah. So like the same way you can go anywhere with a GPS right. and know where you are on the earth, mm-hmm. you'll have internet access. Basically. Right. That's very, very good. Which is, sounds amazing on the surface. And I agree, we should uh, definitely be interested in it. However, to do this, they have to send up 42,000 satellites in total into orbit. And there's some problems with Elon Musk and how he runs his companies, too. Exactly, yes. That's something else to point out. This is a private company. Yeah, because we're going to give a private company the ability to send 42,000 satellites into orbit. So the problems I have with this is I don't trust Elon Musk to run this thing in an ethical way. Because he's already done unethical things with this specific program. Yeah, neither do I. I don't trust him either. No, you There's can't trust a billionaire. The payload delivery that. system. Yeah. The SpaceX apparently is offering to the U.S. military. Yeah. Through their services, an easier way of delivering payloads to uh, forces around the world. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was one of the big things. That's one of the nefarious things that they're doing with SpaceX. Yeah. He's uh, he's making money any way he can. That guy. Yeah. Um, they will have a monopoly on this technology, because once you send up 42,000 satellites into the sky, you kind of own the sky. Yeah, that's, it's you ridiculous. Kind of own it. That's a lot. That's an unbe- uh, unbelievable amount. And uh, let's go to the actual numbers of satellites in the sky right now, just to put this into perspective. Okay. So there's 8,000 satellites that have ever been put into orbit, right? Since, Since Sputnik. Sputnik, the first one. Right, the Russians sent up yes. in the early 60s. So during the space race. And only 2,218 are still in use right now. Uh-huh. Elon Musk's company is going to multiply that by six. Jesus Christ. They're going to put six times the amount of satellites in the sky that the amount there has ever been mm-hmm. in the sky. So 42,000. And 5% of those satellites have broken down before their expected lifespan was up. Okay, that's uh, a big problem as well. It's not very... One in 20 of their satellites break down, and they're just floating debris. Yeah, it's not very trustable then. It's not very trustful. Um, They also had an instance where they refused to move their satellite when it was about to collide with a European satellite. Hmm. So this European satellite that, um, I don't know what it does, it was some sort of... um, graphing thing I it doesn't think. matter but it doesn't really yeah. matter but it was a government satellite from mm-hmm. europe and it was about to collide with elon musk satellite because he didn't put the proper precautions into place mm-hmm. so that would not happen he refused to move it and made uh, the european satellite move which there's like uh propulsion systems on the satellites to move it which is uh and he claims that they have it i don't know that's all the article said is that he claimed that mm. it had sufficient uh, stuff. But then why did he deny to move his satellite? Yeah, it's possible. 
they may have cut some corners for yeah. this this project. I want to put a pass. Never them. good. And also, honestly, the United Nations, you should have to get approval from the United Nations to send anything up into space. Yeah. That's my opinion. Because I, I 100% agree. Unlike borders, uh, unlike international waters and national waters where, you know, I think it's a one mile radius from the coastline. Something like that. Or some distance. That it's a small distance away. That qualifies as being inside of a nation's waters. And then there's international waters. And international waters abides by laws that are set by a institution mm-hmm. uh, i'm not sure exactly which one i'm not sure if it's if it's a, a ministry under the united nations or what what it might be whatever it would it be is. understandable if it was yeah. but i think space should be treated this treated the exact same way uh where it's international yep. it's you have to go through and the international the closest thing to an international governing body we have is the united nations so you should have to get private companies especially should have to get approval from the United Nations in order to start doing that because it's all of our skies. You know, mm-hmm. when you orbit the planet, you orbit the entire thing. You can't just orbit around a country. It's not yeah. how it works. So this technology sounds really good on the surface. You know, it gives everybody access no matter how rural you are to internet. Right. However, now the implications of that is now Elon Musk has a monopoly on the internet. Which is As very an bad. entirety. Very, very bad. Very bad. No one should have a monopoly on the internet. It should be a it should free be. and equal space. That's right. And so that has some the amount implications of, that are vile. Yeah. And the amount of actual physical things flying around in the sky mm-hmm. is also dangerous because if they fall back down to Earth, like how do you, how are you going to maintain these things? Now, usually satellites, when they crash through Earth's orbit, they dissolve. Yes. And the ones that don't dissolve, I mean, Earth is mostly water, so they usually end up crashing to the ocean. They're usually also planned that way. That's right. to come down. There's a a decay, a decaying orbit that's at the end of the life cycle that they partake in usually. However, I don't trust Elon Musk's... uh, Well, I mean, he couldn't couldn't get out of the way of of another European satellite, whether whether he cares, whether he, it was due to the lack of... He just didn't give a fuck. on the satellite yeah. or if he's just a scumbag and he didn't want to yeah uh neither of those things spell uh positive impressions no <laughs> on the decaying orbit possibility so this, for satellites. this guy his uh marketing team has made him the real life iron man basically tony stark tony yeah, stark he's been marketing himself significantly as as a tony stark type character that uh he ain't he's just a scummy billionaire yeah he's just a scumbag just billionaire fucking crazy. that his dad owned emerald mines and he yeah he he was able to profit off it he inherited a significant amount of I don't know uh, if he inherited anything when he made um, all right but still he had connections when your dad's yeah, he, rich you have connections when you're that rich you have connections it's just how it goes your and family has that money connections you can go to the bank and say i need a loan for a million dollars and normal person would be like or that they would say to a normal person, nah, doc, you're not getting that. No way in hell. But uh, Elon Musk, whose dad's a multimillionaire, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if he was a billionaire or not, but he owned emerald mines in um, South, Africa. South Africa. So they go, he goes to the bank and says, I need a loan. The bank says, okay. And he says, my dad is this person. He owns this, this, and this. Right, the right. bank goes, oh, interesting. 
right. I think we could probably lend you this money because you you'll be able to uh, pay it back. Right. Right. So this guy, Elon Musk, claims that he never took any money from his dad, though. Uh, claims. Claims. Well, he grew up in the house. He grew up on a yacht. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, you know, you know, he grew up around that stuff. Your your so. your allowance is probably very different underneath that father. I'm just saying. Rather than one that works for $24 an hour down That's at right. the local business. That's right. So I'm just saying. Um, and also, you know, the problem with satellite stories, space debris. There's a significant amount yes. of debris in, uh, orbiting the Earth, and that makes it difficult. You have to plan your launches, to, you know, whether it's spacecraft yeah. of any kind, a- around that space debris. Now, there might be a certain point where there's too much debris and it becomes extremely difficult for us to launch anything into space. Exactly. So it's going, this And is, 42, it's already an issue now. And only 8,000 satellites have ever been put into orbit. Now this dude's talking about 42,000 satellites, possibly not with the correct, the correct safety precautions in them. Yep. And that's, we're looking at a space debris nightmare. Yep. This is already going through. This is already happening. We might be. We might see the full thing uh, take place next year. By next year, that's ridiculous. See, that's this. It's a bit all fucked up. of our skies. Yeah, so. it's also fucking up astronomers because the satellites are um, too shiny, too uh-huh. bright. So it's uh, fucking up the uh, telescopes. It's too bright for the telescopes to see far um, it's, into that. It's creating light pollution. Whatever. Yeah, too much light pollution, and Elon Musk's. Uh, Response to that was, well, paint it black. And well, the astronomers actually, were just like... Would that actually affect it? Yeah. Yeah, the astronomers are very worried about that. No, would it actually affect the light given off oh, by the satellite? Oh, painting it black? Not enough. These, these uh, telescopes are so sensitive. Right. That they're seeing things... I know, I know, That I know. are so far out in the distance, mm. like And that's other the galaxies, main source right? for us to be able to uh, identify different planets. That's how we do all our astro... Um, research right astro 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 research meteorological or whatever it is i don't know what it's called i'm not a scientist but you know all that space stuff the good stuff yes yeah so this is going directly affect everybody very concerning hopefully something is done yeah i they've already been putting shit in there and they only got approval from the united states government right well no they got approval from canada too or whatever they got they got approval from canada as well oh no yeah well, the indigenous populations already have it. They're the first ones to get tested on. Mm. The rural northern communities, right? Yeah, this is very concerning. Very concerning. Yeah. Now, I also think that internet is a human right, or should be a human right. Mm-hmm. Granted, it's not really, you're not capable of doing that in Canada because we're so dispersed amongst the massive landmass that we have. Yeah, are, we have a lot of... Right, uh, so it's it's not really feasible for us to give adequate internet to everybody through uh, the current means through that are the current not satellite. Means. This would give it to the current means, which in my opinion also means that we should socialize it because it's yes. a public utility. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you should be, have to pay for it through a private system, right? Th- through a private uh, enterprise. So granted that I still don't think this should happen. Yeah. Neither do I. It's, it's a bit fucked up. Mm-hmm. And I think that so anyways, concludes the podcast. That today. concludes all the stories we had on the agenda. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoy. December 13th is done. 
That's right. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. If you would like to help us out, remember to download. Follow us on, on Twitter. Uh, Instagram. Instagram. And Everything. Eventually, we might do some live streams, so follow us on Twitch. Yeah, maybe. And that was The Canadian Perspective. Signing off.